Today's Untold is with Lynn Grebstad, Hong Kong's former PR supremo. Lynn grew up with travel in the blood. Hailing from a services family, Lynn left the home counties as a young girl and spent much of her childhood and teenage years in Cyprus and grew up with a strong desire to see the world. Lynn spent time in the Middle East before realizing a goal and joining British Airways, a role which saw her really maximize her travel concessions. Remarkably, a chance meeting with a hotel general manager in Rio de Janeiro led to a Hong Kong job interview. A shrewd observation from the interviewing GM put Lynn on the path to a PR career second to none. Lynn also talks in depth about her times and memories from pivotal roles at Hong Kong hotel institutions, the peninsula and the regent. Lynn's meeting and partnering with Oxford scholar and fellow PR professional Paul Hicks was a masterstroke. Grebstad Hicks kicked off with a conference to announce Disney Hong Kong and saw many decades of sustained growth and client account wins all over the globe. Having left Hong Kong, Lynn is now based in beautiful Koh Samui. She continues to be a force for good and is relentlessly positive. Her time currently is firmly focused on the island of Koh Samui and she's helping villa and tourism businesses on putting together post-COVID strategies. Enjoy. Lynn, your love of travel started in aviation and, and you worked with British Airways. Can you tell us a little about how, what kicked off your interest and, and some of your fondest memories from the, the late 70s and 80s traveling globally with BA? Okay, well, in actual fact, my, my, I've always been a traveler. Well, since I was nine, my father, my father was working with the Foreign Office and at nine o'clock we upped from our middle, middle England home and off we went to live in Cyprus. So I went to school in Cyprus between the age of like nine and 18 on and off. I mean, what a wonderful upbringing that was. Then, um, then I went to college and then I decided that I wanted to go flying and I started off with Danair, which was a charter company. And then I went to Gulf Air. Basically I was waiting for a job with British Airways and um, they weren't recruiting. They were going through a very bad time at the, in the early 70s. And um, yeah, I uh, took time off and off we went. I went to live in the Gulf, which was a wonderful experience working for the newly born Gulf Air as was based in Bahrain. And then eventually about, about six months later, British Airways called us in again and said, OK, well, we're ready to to get going and we went off i went off and i trained on the tristar and the and the um on the trident is in actual fact so a funny old thing but really the middle east and and europe was my sort of my bailiwick and um so i spent quite a few uh, months i think i did about six months with them um and then um not with sorry with british airways about about seven years with british airways actually and um, also using my concessions, 
soon as I had a holiday, off I went down to South America or off to the States or off to India. So I really took the chance of having those cheap flights to, to jump on a plane and go and see the world. It was, that was, we weren't paid very much at the time, but we were certainly paid handsomely in the privileges that we got as, you know, on, on, with our concessions. So I always thank British Airways for that. And I thank them every, every month as well for my little pension that I get. <laughs> Excellent. And did any of these flights take you to Hong Kong? Was that the introduction? No, no. Basically, the introduction to Hong Kong was through my parents. My father had worked there in the early in the um, early 70s. And um, when I was flying, I did like I took a in fact, I took a month unpaid leave and I actually went off to Hong Kong. And that's when I decided that um, ultimately I would like to live in Hong Kong. I picked up a copy of the South China Morning Post and I thought I looked at the job section. I thought, hmm, I'd like to live here. Um, and I'd enjoy it, enjoyed it being with my family. So that was my plan. So as soon as as soon as I finished flying, I said to my intended, my my fiance, Carl, my husband, I said, let's let's go. Let's go and start a new life elsewhere. And that's how we ended up in Hong Kong. He got a job as an architect, he's an architect. And um, ended up in Hong Kong. <laughs> and and your, your move from aviation and, and airlines into hotels moved into communications and PR. So you joined Le Meridian and it was to look after the PR for two properties, if I'm correct. No, actually, funny, I, I just before I'd left British Airways, I'd been in Rio de Janeiro and I'd met up with the... Um, uh, Berger, Pierre Berger, who is the general manager for um, for the Meridian, Le Meridian, in on Cabana Beach, and he said, "I said I'm leaving British Airways in a couple of months. I'm going to live in Hong Kong." He said, "Oh, you must contact my great friend Rudy Shelton, who runs the um, the Meridian in Hong Kong, which was about to open actually not long after we arrived in Hong Kong." So. Eventually, you know, I, I saw the adverts, the Meridian was opening and, and that was it. I went along and actually I, I applied for a guest relations job. But after talking to the, uh, the GM for an hour, he said, I think you'd be great in public relations. I said, really? I said, okay, well, I'll give it a go. And that was Hong Kong at the time, being in the right place at the right time. He said, if you can convince the marketing manager that you can write a press release and what have you, I said, okay, and off we went. So I did that, and about six months later, we opened two hotels, two Meridian hotels on the same day. Um, the Meridian um, in Chim Sa Choi, and then the Meridian at the airport. And uh, it, I didn't do it by myself. We had Burson and Marcella come in and help us. So I, you know, I learned very quickly and um, I had French bosses as well, the Meridian group, and they were very demanding, but they, I learned a, a hell of a lot very quickly and um, just had a ball. I really enjoyed it. All the stars came to stay, people like Barry Humphreys and, you know, a lot of, um, lot of celebrities wanted to try something new and they obviously encouraged, encouraged them to come and try it. So I enjoyed that. I did that for about a year and three months. And then the peninsula, um, opportunity came up well, and um, peninsula obviously is is synonymous with with hong kong similarly mm -hmm. to raffles in singapore there's a, a few around the world where you think of the city and there's a 
a hotel that first comes to mind. It must have been a... Grand Dam, beautiful yeah. old hotel. Well, I mean, I was, I went to the peninsula in 1983 and um, it, my, my friend who I'd met, she was actually running the, the corporate PR. So she basically said, come on, have a go. And I said, mm, you know, it's a quite a daunting prospect, but um, I just had a, had an amazing experience there. It was a, compared with a brand new hotel, it was an old rundown. Um, it was very rundown at the time. The Peninsula in 1983, it desperately needed upgrading. Oh, really? But, oh, gosh, yes. It was, I mean, still still beautiful, but old, bit old-fashioned, a bit tired around, you know, a bit tatty around the edges, but people didn't seem to mind. Yes. What was the amazing thing about, about um, the Peninsula was it's just, this sort of this incredible luxury, um, the the quality of the of the of the bedding, the pillows, the private butlers, the fact that they 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 used to put little matchsticks or little pieces of paper in the door so they knew if you were out or in, so they could run in and tidy things up for you. We used to present the guests in those days with like a tray of beautiful big sort of designer soaps and. Everything was the absolute best of the best, but it certainly wasn't. <laughs> certainly wasn't very posh, you know. It was it it was badly in need of a renovation. And of course, it was that was in the process when I was there, you know. Um, it was coming several years later, but obviously, they built the the um, space. This what is it? The the space the Hong Kong Museum Space Museum. Yes. Across the yeah, yeah. with that bubble, which has spoiled the view to some extent. Um, it's taken away that sort of iconic position of the peninsula. So they didn't know whether to actually relocate. There was a great quandary at the time whether they actually completely relocate the peninsula over to where the regent is. And that was actually banded around for some time. Um, and it eventually many years later they decided that they would keep the old hotel and build the tower up through the back so but at, at the time i was there it was they were considering it they were planning it but it was still a it was a pretty tired hotel but still a very beautiful hotel the grand down a little <laughs> bit tired around the edges but glamorous and gorgeous and i had a wonderful time there lynn i read during your tenure that the peninsula received quite considerable TV and movie coverage, as well as in print and magazines. Were any of these TV shows or programmes noteworthy or, or would we have heard of them? Just, just a couple of things that, um, one was um, Noble House, mm -hmm. which was, yes, that was, and of course there was James Bond, um, you know, the man with a golden gun, the, the peninsula features in, in that with Britt Eklund and Roger Moore. Then there was Pierce Brosnan, beautiful noble house, Pierce Brosnan and Deborah Raffin. Then during, one, one of the things I particularly remember was they were filming something called Harry's Hong Kong. Um, they just had enormous success in Hollywood with Shogun, um, with Richard Chamberlain. And Hot on the heels of that, they had written Sterling Silifant, who was the writer. He'd written this story about this sort of private eye in, in Hong Kong. And it was played, the, the part was played by David Soule. So basically, they took over the whole hotel 
to shoot this. They did a pilot first. And it was, it was, we almost redecorated the two presidential suites and they took over the whole lobby for days, which was unheard of, but they decided it was worth the investment. However, it was not a great success, um, Harry's Hong Kong. It only went to one, one pilot episode um, and it was, it never became a series like, um, like Shogun. Particularly, I mean, the peninsula was in a lot of things like the love boat. I mean, I, I, I didn't, orchid, I, I was part of it, but I certainly didn't sort of make it all happen. It was a, it was a massive teamwork, but it was certainly fun being the public relations person at that time, getting to know all the stars and looking after them, entertaining them. And the same, same at the Regent when I moved across the road. Lynn, difficult to imagine that things can get better than the peninsula, but indeed they did, because you then joined, one year after its opening, one of the hottest hotels in the world, the Regent. Well, it was, it was an interesting thing, because I, 83 to 86, I'd been at the peninsula, and, um, you know, pretty much, you know, I thought, mm, we've done most of that, and, you know, working in the hotel PR is quite sort of, it's a, a cycle. And I thought, do I really want to go across to another hotel? But in actual fact, I went to work for a marvelous general manager called Rudy Greiner. I don't know if you remember him. And um, he just ran one of the most incredible operations I've, I've ever experienced. He had an ace team of people from top to bottom. He ran the most remarkable hotel and he empowered all his team leaders to basically be the best, do the best, and make sure the Regent is presented as the best. Um, and I, I really think it was, it was his empower, empowerment of all of his key people, which really was the key to the hotel's success. Not to mention the physical plant and all the other beautiful things about it, but um, his, his sort of, his um, simple elegance, his in the way, the decor, the art, the, the food, everything was just absolutely the best of the best. And of course, really, at that time, during the sort of the mid to the mid 80s until like, you know, the millennium, the region was like the, I mean, just the most stunning property. I mean, it went from region to Four Seasons to Intercontinental. And I just think it just has this, um, not, I think obviously the, the physical plant of the hotel is magnificent with those big picture windows. It's, you know, acres and acres of polished granite floor. It's beautiful spaces. It is just, it is the ultimate magnificent hotel because of its presence. You, you feel like you're in a big, great big ship sailing through Hong Kong Harbor. But I think all through it's the last, what, 20, 30 years, it's just, um, been a place where I think it's just sort of understated elegance. It's just a, a very, um, it's not intimidating. It's just, you just feel special when you walk in. It just, I, and I think that's what people love about a great hotel, isn't it? It's like the peninsula, when you walk in, you feel special. You walk into the lobby, you think, wow, you know, I've arrived. You walk into the region and you're just, you're absolutely amazed at the beauty of it. And Hong Kong is laid out before you. And in the evening, it's just magical. It, I loved it. I stop on the stairs and just look and say, oh my God, this is so beautiful. 
How lucky am I? A Adrian Zecker, one of the co-founders of, of Regent, what was his involvement with the brand and the hotel um, being set up? Well, um, he was, in, uh, there was a big, there was a, another per very important person in the, in the, in the, in the region, of course, was Robert Burns, Bob Burns. I mean, he was the sort of the icon of Regent International. He founded Regent International. Um, and it was his team with Adrian Zecker, who, Adrian Zecker and George Raphael. There were the three of them. They yeah. were they were behind the Regent, Regent Group, and then the Regent Hotel. And I think each brought an incredible sort of pedigree of, of luxury and style, this uh, a natural sort of, um, love of, of style and art and and I you know for instance I Adrian Zecker he was the man who created he was the one who created the Amman group of hotels um, Bob Burns was just a hospitality visionary you know in terms of like creating the pool the first pool villas at the um, at the Four Seasons in Bali and just a, an amazing visionary and I think George Raphael was I don't know so much but I think more the European, um, he brought the sort of the European uh, quality, sort of tradition of quality and luxury and to the whole equation. So I think the three of them were just a dream team of people who created the Regent. And then of course the general manager, Rudy Griner, I think wasn't one of the finest operations people anywhere. <clears throat> a famous Hilton man, he was a yes. Hilton man. How was that era in Hong Kong, Lynn? Did it feel like it was the center of everything? Well, I mean, in the lead up to 1997, I think Hong Kong was one of the most exciting places to be in the world. I mean, everyone and his, every man and his dog was there, you know, either doing business, trying to get a job, all the kids came out, working in the bars, the restaurants. It was just, it was like, you know, it was, the doors were going to close on, on, you know, 30th of June, 1997. Everybody wanted a piece of Hong Kong. Everybody wanted to be part of it before it disappeared. Of course, we knew it wouldn't disappear. Um, but it was a very exciting time, a time of balls and parties and just, just everything. It was, it was just the most exciting place to be. We had the most marvelous 80s, 90s in Hong Kong were just stunning. And then obviously the millennium, another decade of, you know, Hong Kong pretty much continuing as normal. Um, and then of course, 2012 came, austerity in China, Etc. Etc. But I think 80s, 90s, and the noughties were a marvelous time to live in Hong Kong. I think it's fair to say, also, Lynn, that you were a key part of Hong Kong society with your involvement in SCAL. Is it also possible to tell us a little about your involvement on the board of the Foreign Correspondence Club? Yeah, I was. I yes, I joined the Foreign Correspondence Club, um, and I quite late actually in my sort of time in Hong Kong, but I, um, why did I join? I can't remember. Anyway, I ended up as um, the, the, on the, on the committee and as one of the sec as secretary and taking the minutes and just, it was great to be, you know, obviously I've been entertaining. I've had the opportunity working at the peninsula in the region to entertain the world's top journalists, especially during the lead up to 1997, when the world's, media the, the media the, their attention was totally focused on hong kong 
on, and it's obviously its future and its relationship with China, the future relationship with China. So I've met an awful lot of journalists and, you know, played host to many of them coming down from Beijing for, on their R&R. So it has really, really helped me to develop a fantastic network of international network of contacts. So to be, to join the FCC was sort of a natural progression. And um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed being on the committee of that making, helping them make decisions about um, a pretty crucial time, you know, talking about how, how they were going to extend their lease, you know, um, balancing the whole free, free speech and um, issues with China. So it's, it's still a very tricky, it's a fabulous club, fabulous social club, one of the best bars in the world. Um, great to be part of it. Um, you know, it's they've always had to tread a fine line, you know, since 1997 between keeping peace with China, still, still being the center of, of, of freedom of speech in Hong Kong, etc. But it's um, it's a great Hong Kong institution. I sincerely hope it continues to thrive. Post um, Regent, you spent some more time with Peninsula, and then and then founded with Mr. Paul yes. Hicks, your, your super successful agency. What was the catalyst behind going it, well, going it alone? Well, funnily enough, I was driving down Orchard Road one day. Um, I was in Singapore and I just was driving. I, what I always tried to do when I was in Singapore, I was, I'd love to go for Tiffin at Raffles. And I was driving in the, in the taxi and I was like, you know, I'm getting older um, and I was with the, I think I was with the Peninsula Group. I was, I'm getting older. Do I want to continue working for the Peninsula Group or, or maybe a great time to sort of start my own thing? So I did um, three years with the Peninsula Group. We, we opened the tower. It was a three-year project to um, launch and open the tower, top out and then open it. So that was probably one of the most exciting things I was involved in. I was working on the corporate side um, in, in corporate comms and also looking after the Peninsula um, network of PR companies, which I'd set up actually. And that's, and that's another thing that it had encouraged me to do my own thing was working with small independent agencies specializing in luxury travel and lifestyle. And um, I just decided that, hey, I could do that. So come opening of the tower and probably within the next you know, few months, um, I, I left the peninsula. I'd been there for about just over three years and I set up my own company and that was it. Did it, I think I did it for about, hold on, that was 19, about a year. And then I met up with Paul Hicks um, he was a journalist. He'd had his own small PR agency and we'd been pitching against each other for a few times. <laughs> One in Singapore, actually, yeah. was, do you remember yeah. the, um, oh God, Duxton Hotel? I do. <clears throat> okay, I pitched for the Duxton Hotel, so did he, and I won it. He <laughs> <laughs> was a bit, you know, teed off with me. So he said, well, look, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. So we decided, we decided to team up in 1996 from two very different perspectives. Mine was very much sort of hospitality, PR, marketing, and, um, and his was very much from the sort of, I think more tourism, more corporate side. Um, you know, Paul's an Oxford scholar, so he's, you know, he's a brainy guy. So we, we brought together a very good 
synergy and, and good skills. So honestly, as soon as my as soon as Paul and I got together within the within the next year, we our business took off. So that was 1997 came along, that's right. And then everything went so over you a cliff. Too many pitches to get established a good client base and, and keep you both very busy from the first couple of days. No, no, we agreed that basically we had he had clients, I had clients. So we decided that within as soon as we got a client together, we would form our um for my company and we did that was about in March the following March we joined up in July the following March we really sort of started to establish ourselves um and that's a, that was a good way so none of us felt that you know we'd brought more to the table we just you know we kept going as together and then once we had a client off we went it was great and, and I you know Paul Paul brought a lot of I think gravitas to our partnership and, you know, no sooner as we, you know, one of our first big projects was launching Disney in Hong Kong. And we, um, we, we it was a big campaign. It was called um, basic Disney working. What can Disney do for you? Yes. Um, and it was really, a, we had a big, we organized a big conference. And we were part of a team organizing a big conference, um, talking about Disney and what it could mean for Hong Kong. And how could businesses and hotels and everybody capitalize on that? So that was, you know, that that was a good launch pad. And then off we went, boom, hotels, airlines, tourism offices, etc. Lynn, in 2008, when we first met, you were an integral part in terms of Grebstad Hicks in launching ILTM Asia and responsible with the, the PR and some of the content, especially the first day conference. At that point, any organization, hotel, company that was looking to expand in China or Asia seemed to be knocking at your door and you were growing all the time. What, what size did you get to in, in terms of when your agency was at its largest scale? To between about 75 people. Wow. Um, in our, in really at the top, because we had, we had, Shanghai first, we opened Shanghai first, then Beijing, um, and then Singapore, I think, and then we actually had a partner in Bangkok as well. But she it was a small agency and the lady was fantastic, but she was in her, I think late 50s, early 60s, and she wanted to retire. Um, so unfortunately, she'd always made that very clear. So unfortunately, you know, we we had her for a couple of years, but then she just wanted to bailout and we didn't feel that we could really make Thailand work it's a different market we couldn't focus on it so we just decided to keep Beijing Shanghai Hong Kong Singapore and that was a good a good idea China was remarkable for us you know we had a great team fabulous team and um and when we went into Beijing we had a girl called Rhoda Adams working with us and she was a force of nature um, married to a hotel chef, but just a, a marvelous networker and just loved Beijing. I think you've got to love Beijing to work there. And um, she really helped our business to expand exponentially in China. We had fabulous clients like Rolls-Royce and just, just really um, a real go-getter. So we were lucky to have her for many years, about 10 years. 
and Gary, Gary Yu, and um, a whole slew of, of marvelous operators who really were, some, some came from Hong Kong, some went up there to China, but we had two thriving offices um, in both cities. And yes, we were absolutely the lifestyle, travel and lifestyle people to go to at the time. So, and so at Grebstar Hicks, you, you had a world-class roster of clients, and it was like a yeah, who's, we did. who's yes. who. But did you have any any favorite or openings or campaigns that you run as you look back now and say, oh, that, that was uh, some of the most enjoyable times I had? Well, I think, you know, one of the most, well, one of the f most fun things we, we got involved with was, was of course, ILTM. You know, we loved we loved working with the 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 P and Serge and his partners originally. That I mean, that's how we became involved with ILTM. Um, Carl was um, Paul is very very friendly with um, Serge Dean yes. um, and his partners, and that was just a, that that particular um, you know launch in in Shanghai was a marvelous opportunity for us. I mean, Paul's brilliant on the on the content, you know, uh, conference content side of things. So we worked very closely with the organizers on that. Um, and it was, I just felt that it was a fantastic opportunity for us to showcase what we what we could do in our in our contacts. So it was really a very, very um, a beneficial thing to get involved in. So we did that for three years until it was sold. They sold it to Reed. Yes. Um, then then Reed didn't want what they'd been using, you know, the usual thing with PR companies. So we were shunted out of there. Um, and for three years, they, they used somebody else. But then they came back to us, Reed. And we've been doing it ever since, um, which has been which is a fantastic opportunity. We, that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing in, in our business. But of course, now we've really got to think about a diversifying the business a little bit more because of the whole travel situation you know it's it's really shown us this this last nine months has really shown us that you know you have to you have to diversify in your business you know so that you're not all your eggs aren't in one basket which has been okay because we've for many years one of my favorite clients has been Vinexpo okay. um <coughs> I love the world of wine and spirits um and we've done we've been working with them since like 2000 and I think eight um, we've done every other year, it's been in Hong Kong and every other year in, in Bordeaux. So we have been involved in Bordeaux more and more, but it's been, what has been so incredible about the travel and the wine and spirits is just being on the edge of China and just watching how it's just taken everything. You know, it's the hospital travel, hospitality, wine, food. You know, we've grown, we grew with, with our market, you know, China, Hong Kong, Singapore, um, but specifically China. It's just always been so exciting to be part of that big China story. You know, nobody can ever believe the figures, the consumption figures, et cetera. So that's, that's always been a, an exciting part of the business and other areas, the big consumer goods, you know, the automobiles, the private yachts, we, you know, as the as the luxury consumer's life has sort of changed, we've we've sort of capitalised on 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 their on that sort of client. So, 
At one stage, Lynn, I remember seeing on the Grebstad Hicks website some incredible London and Manhattan real estate. Oh God, yes, we um, we we were one of my. Well, you asked me what one of my favorite brands was. I loved working with Swire Hotels. Um, we launched the opposite house in in um, in Beijing, the upper house in in Hong Kong, and um, yeah, I. I really, that sort of, that sort of design hotel we, we all love. So we've been very much working, that, that led to another thing. You know, we were working with all their fabulous designers and then we, we were able to build on things like working with famous designers like um, Swire brought us in to launch Frank Gehry's Opus um, in Hong Kong. And through that, we were able to, to capitalize on really, really high-end real estate in New York and London. So, yeah, you know, as I said, all those, all those luxury lifestyle um, sectors have, have come to us, really, as a knock-on effect from luxury travel and tourism. So, you know, that's how our business has evolved. Outside of enormously successful agency, you've also had a, a side project or... A, a, obviously a, something very dear to your heart, but you've opened Suralai, which is a beautiful house in Koh Samui. You're able to talk a bit about the milestones and, and how that project came around? Well, yes, we, um, we were, you know, I think like most Hong Kongers, you know, you fancy the idea of having a nice villa in Phuket or somewhere, you know, ultimately. Um, so yeah, we thought about Phuket, anyway, one year, in 2000, and I think it was five, we came here with my friend, Susan Field, who also had a, a very successful PR agency in Hong Kong, Impact Asia. So please come down and have a look at Koh Um, I've got some land there and I'm going to build a villa. So I said, oh, if we must, then we, okay, we came. Well, we never left. <laughs> we fell in love with it. We bought, we, we were here for four days. We bought a piece of land before we left and Within three years, my husband, who is an architect, and his and his um, partners, we, they designed the most extraordinary villa. And um, Paul and I were partners in it, and and they were our other partners in it. So it's been a it's been a very successful. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a big been a financially successful investment, but it's been a wonderful lifestyle investment. Hopefully, if people start traveling again, we might we might get back to those days. But it's. Um, it was another thing which, as, as I said, followed on from, you know, the, the luxury travel and lifestyle um, world in which we lived. And of course, you know, through that, we've, we've been able to work with villa companies like Elite Havens and, um, you know, um, luxury villas and homes. And we've, we've had an opportunity to diversify into, into that real estate sector, working with, you know, Niseco, properties in Niseko, Bali. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's been a very rich and varied um, business that we've had. And um, it's, you know, what you asked me what my favorites are, you know, I, it's really hard to say, but I have enjoyed working with some of the really beautiful European hotels. Like we, we worked for, um, one of my favorites was the Maybourne Collection in London, um, Claridge's, the Connaught, the Barclay. We worked for the Ritz in London, which was marvelous. And then, then we got to work with this beautiful collection in Europe called 
the Utica collection. Yes. Um, yeah. Which is Bristol, um, these other beautiful hotels, the hotel at Dantibes and all these glamorous places. So I, I personally like that part of it. Paul liked different um, parts of it, parts of the business, but that was my certainly my forte. So what, and the airlines. what does a typical week look for look like for you now? And if you are doing your work, where, do you have, have an office or are you outside on a balcony next to an infinity pool cocktail in hand? <laughs> well, number, number one, it's too hot for that. But no, really, I, as, as you probably know, we in 2014, we sold our business. Um, and it was bought out um, by Japan's second biggest advertising agency, Hakuhodo Group. Um, I stayed on for four years, um, and then I decided to. We decided to leave Hong Kong. Just we'd been we'd been in Hong Kong for thirty-seven years, a long time. It was time for a change, so we decided we'd come and live here. Not in Surulai, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's a business. Um, but yeah, we, we decided, I, I decided then that I would maybe stay on and try and continue to support GHC Asia um, moving forward. I'm still on the board and um, I try and continue to use my contacts to push business towards GHC Asia. I, I'm very, I've always loved working with Skull. Um, in Hong Kong, I was on the committee for many years um, and organizing the annual Christmas and Ladies' Day and basically fundraising for, for yes. Skull and mentoring and all that sort of thing. And um, it was something I joined, Susan Field, she encouraged me to join here and suddenly here I am helping them with their tourism recovery campaign, um, helping villa owners with their PR and but not working as a PR, just helping out wherever I can. So I don't want to get into um, full time. Um, once you stop, once you jump off the merry-go-round of full time work, and in, in a place like Hong Kong, it was just really full on. Lots of traveling. Um, never got home before seven, eight o'clock at night, as I'm sure you know. And, I, and then once you step off the merry-go-round, you realize that there is a there's a lot more to life than just you know working. You know. 24 seven. Um, so I don't want to go back to that, but I still love to keep my hand in. I really enjoy um, being part of the, the process still. And um, I think I'll always do that. You know, not necessarily for money. I don't need that, but it's nice <laughs> to be able to volunteer and say, I'll help you. <laughs> yes. Who better to help with a Kosovo recovery plan than, than the great Lynn Grebstead? Oh, darling, uh, thank you. And I, I, yeah, I love this place. And, it, and if you're passionate about somewhere, it makes it really easy. And I was passionate about Hong Kong, passionate about PR and, and China. And I, I think it's passion. If you're not passionate about something, like everybody says, don't do it. But um, no, I had a wonderful career. It was what I love. It's what's in my heart. And I had a wonderful partner. We just were totally on the same page. And um, I think I've been very lucky. So I, I'm thankful. Well, thank you so much for uh, such a, a great overview of a, a wonderful career and uh, a great life planning that allows you to relocate from Hong Kong and Koh Samui <laughs> as you 
wind down. So thank you so much for your value time. It's always great to see you. Okay, darling. Well, listen, and I hope our paths cross in person soon. Definitely. <laughs>